0: This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. As a traveler, I know you love to discover a new hidden gem, a place that is maybe less visited, a little bit off the beaten track. And I've got a wonderful one for you today the state of Wisconsin is filled with friendly locals, incredible food, amazing history and culture, and you're going to get a big heaping slice of all of that today. I have three experts from Travel Wisconsin here to help you discover the culinary, cultural, and outdoor adventure wonders waiting for you in this great state with plenty of surprises along the way, and it's happening right now. So buckle up, strap in, thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. And I'm all about finding some new destinations for you to visit, some new things to discover. And the goal of this episode is to give you what every traveler wants, some inspiration to come make memories and discover new unexpected adventures. In this case, we're talking about the state of Wisconsin. I feel like the Midwest in general is an all too often overlooked area Of travel in the United States. I've had so many wonderful experiences traveling through the Midwest and specifically in Wisconsin, which we're talking about today. And this is your chance to discover some of those offerings. You're going to hear three segments. First, you'll hear from Ann Sayers, who shares why Wisconsin's culinary scene offers something special for everyone. You'll also discover some incredible immersive experiences that will allow you to not only connect with the local food scene, but also the local community. And these are some things I've never experienced and I've never even heard of until I recorded this episode. And these were the type of experiences that if you hear them, you're going to be like, yeah, I would totally do that. I'm ready to do that. Let me go do that right now. (laughs) So I'm excited to share those with you. Next up after that, you'll hear from outdoor enthusiast Cassie Mordini, who will share the variety of outdoor adventure opportunities in the Badger State, from adrenaline-pumping adventures that challenge you to more relaxed offerings that let you explore the natural world at your own pace. Plus, an epic trail that I just added to my personal bucket list. Never even heard of this one. Another... Amazing long-distance trail that I have to do at some point in my life, so you hear about that. And last but not least, you'll hear from Casey Brown, board member with the Native American Tourism of Wisconsin, and member of the Ho-Chunk Nation, who discusses some of the unique indigenous cultural offerings, as well as why every traveler should make tribal tourism a part of their journey. Hugely important, and if you want to upgrade your next itinerary with a trip to Wisconsin, You're going to find everything you need over at TravelWisconsin.com. That's TravelWisconsin.com. We'll link up to everything we mentioned here in today's show. Now, I invite you to enjoy this wonderful audio exploration of the great state of Wisconsin. Please enjoy.
1: Hello, I'm Ann Sayers. I'm the Secretary of Tourism here at the Wisconsin Department of Tourism, and we're really proud to be the home of Travel Wisconsin. That's the brand that helps encourage visitors to come experience Wisconsin and make their lifelong memories here.
0: Thank you for coming on to the show, Ann. It's so great to have you here.
1: I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So you went to school in Madison when I was about 19 or 20. I took a trip out there when I was in college, and that was the furthest west I'd been. And I absolutely loved it. I'm sure that'll come up in the conversation at some point during this episode, but uh, how was your time there?
1: You know, I had never been to Wisconsin before deciding to come to school here. I picked it out of a book. Showed up in Madison, and I just like immediately knew I had picked the right place. From my dorm room, I could look out over Lake Mendota, which is just this stunning blue body of water that the university wraps around. At the end of State Street, which is like kind of a consumer mall, there's this the state capitol, which is I think one of the most gorgeous in the country. It's it's a beautiful city, and then you know, as I got to know it, it was really became about the people and that kindness and sort of Midwest. Amazingness extends through the entire state, which I, I know now 30 years later, and I'm, I'm just so glad I found it.
0: Where are you from originally?
1: You know, I, I grew up all over, but mostly Alaska.
0: Oh, okay. So you live in Cross Plains now. Is that correct?
1: That's right. We're right at the, at the gateway to the driftless. We say it's the rolling hills of the southwestern part of the state that the glaciers never reach. So it's maintained its topography. It's beautiful. Just rocky outcroppings and rolling hills and amazing like culinary scene and music scene. And it kind of has its own vibe. Um, and every corner of the state has that to some extent too.
0: Well, I think it speaks for itself. The fact that you went to school there. You know, sight unseen. And now you've stuck around and you've been there for so long. So I'm sure you're a wealth of knowledge on our topic today. We're getting into some of the culinary stuff, calling the segment Tasty Makers. People think beer and cheese, but I know we're, we're, we're going to cover much more than that because Wisconsin's much more than that. But we have to start somewhere. So do, do we start with the cheese and beer? Or do we kind of start somewhere else? What are you thinking here?
1: I mean, I think we need to address that because it's not wrong. We have ourselves some beer and cheese and some of the best of the world on both fronts.
0: Let's start with the cheese then. I mean, that's the thing I would say that Wisconsin is most known for in terms of food.
1: I'm really, I have a lot of comfort in this area. So let's Let's dig into cheese. We are America's Dairyland for a reason. We actually have 6,000 dairy farms here in Wisconsin. It's more than any other state. 90% 90% of Wisconsin's milk is actually made into cheese. And that means that we are supplying nearly half of the country's specialty cheeses. And we have, I just, I always want to like emphasize that we have beautiful cheeses like Asiago and Gorgonzola and Gruyere and aged cheddar, Gouda. I am a Limburger fan. Um, that's something you have to try when you're here. But we also have cheese curds, and that gets pretty popular. You hear a lot about that up in the village of Ellsworth. That's called the cheese curd capital of the world. They have the Ellsworth Creamery, and this is going to blow your mind. Every single day, they produce 180,000 pounds of all-natural cheddar cheese curds. Right? It blew your mind.
0: (laughs) That's an insane amount of, yeah. (laughs) (laughs)
1: So we have 600 varieties of cheeses we're making here in Wisconsin. We have 1,200 licensed cheesemakers, and we're the only state in the nation where you can actually receive a certification as a master cheesemaker, and that is some serious business. You have to have been training for at least 10 years to receive that title.
0: Wow. That's that's really cool. I mean, I think one of the things as a traveler, of course, you go to a place and, and you want to experience... Some of the things they're known for, of course, but you want to experience them in an authentic way. So if if you're talking to a traveler, which you are right now, you're talking to many travelers from all over and they're coming to Wisconsin and they want to, you know, get get the facts and learn about about cheese production and some of the things you shared, but they also want to kind of have a an experience with it. What would you recommend that would really get people kind of involved in in the culture around it and, and getting people to try it. What are some of the experiences you'd recommend around cheese?
1: I love that you're asking because you're exactly right. We see more and more that that is what visitors are looking for. And agritourism is a big part of what we offer here in Wisconsin. So you're not just eating it, although I recommend that part. But you also are having a chance to go out and you can milk a cow. Um, You can go to what we are really proud of here. We call them pizza farms. But it's an evening on the farm with um, pizza served with farm fresh ingredients, live music. They usually pair it with like a, a local brewery or a wine from a local winery. And the whole community and the and the visitors, everybody turns out, gets to know each other, meet the animals, pick some vegetables um, and enjoy the fruits of the labor. We have a lot of things like that. We have lavender farms here in Wisconsin and I um, they make lavender ice cream and lavender soaps. And it's just, you know, it smells like heaven, probably smells and um, it's a chance to to pick the lavender and take your selfies in the field, and um, really any part of our culinary heritage has a way that you can get out into it. You can put on a pair of waders and wade out into a cranberry bog, like you're in the middle of an Ocean Spray commercial.
0: <laughs> We're going to talk about cranberries here, I think, in a minute. But yeah, agro tourism—that was a term I wasn't familiar with actually until so I started diving into the research. And is that something that's been a heavy focus for you guys because just thinking about milking a cow or being on one of these pizza farms, it's, it's, I think it's really healthy and positive for people of any age to kind of just go to the place where, where the food comes from, you know, so you kind of have a deeper connection to the food and you're kind of, you know, it's just something visceral. I'm on my uh, father-in-law's farm right now, actually, and we were just petting some sheep, but it's just like, just being close to animals and being around it, it, it just, I think it's healthy and good.
1: I do, too. And I think that our travelers see that, too. They want to travel with their values on their sleeve and they want to be more closely to connected to where their food comes from. Um, I recently visited a farm up in Unalaska, which is near La Crosse, and um, got to feed some hungry little baby goats. It was so fun. That one guy ate two full bottles. And then later that day, he was going to go do yoga with uh, folks were coming to the farm for some goat yoga. They did rinse him off before he participated in goat yoga. He was quite sticky from the milk. But like, how fun is that? I had, I mean, you should see the pictures of me feeding this goat. I'm smiling ear to ear. And I know that that's how our visitors feel too. Just a chance to do that. We don't, we don't get to do that in the course of, of our daily lives. And it's important to us.
0: Is goat yoga a thing? Is that a...
1: Oh, yes. That's a thing. So you um, put up a little fence, put all the people down uh, on their mats to do the yoga, and the goats just run around. They'll step on your tummy. or will be on your back during downward dog. Lick your face. (laughs) Very therapeutic and entertaining.
0: (laughs) Have you done it?
1: I haven't. It's on me in like probably top three bucket list items.
0: (laughs) Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. And the pizza farm, I thought that was such a great idea when I read about that. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that experience because it sounds like of course you can say, well this is such a trendy term, it's farm to table, but I feel like when you go to a place like Wisconsin, there're certain places that are special because it's always just kind of been that way. It's not necessarily like, hey, we're going out of our way to um you know, s- source local and market this as farm fresh. It's like, well this is just kind of the way we do things. But if you guys want to call it that, whatever. (laughs) I mean, you're talking about going to farms and actually making a pizza from the ingredients that they picked that day, from my understanding. Is that correct? And it's kind of like a community-driven thing?
1: Yeah. I mean, you nailed the vibe exactly. We always say that. um, We've been doing farm-to-table so long, we just call it eating. Um, and at these pizza farms, it's you—you know—you can help. You can be a part of it. You can pick the arugula and the cherry tomatoes. Um, you can even get in there and help—you know—slice some cheeses or help run the stone-fired oven. Um, or you can just come with the family and enjoy what's going on on the farm and sip your brew and uh, wait for your pizza to arrive. But at the end of of the day, what you're having right there is what came from the farm that's right under your feet, and there's something that just makes the food tastes better and I think probably is even more nourishing in, in a couple different ways when you have an opportunity to do something like that. And then there's the piece where the community's all around you. So it is an event in Wisconsin. We, you know, going to the pizza farms kind of like, Oh, that's the thing we're doing tonight. But it also is very natural. I mean, it's not like an unusual thing that we would, we would do something like that, get, get out to a farm and enjoy um, what they've grown there.
0: But I mean, I think that's a really cool thing for travelers to be aware of. You know, I mean, even if you're just passing through the state, you should stop and check out some of these things that are hyper-local, community-driven, and it's always great to be able to bond with people over food. I mean, this is the easiest way to, to kind of connect with locals, I feel. And of course, I guess beer falls under that category, as well, so since we we're talking about the big the big two here, the cheese and beer, we might as well move in into the beer. and I was excited to learn that you guys have a beer trail, and I mean, maybe that's a place to start because it sounds like that covers a bit of some of the things that people can experience in terms of beer in Wisconsin.
1: Yeah, we have been brewing beer since 1835. That's 13 years before we were even a state. We were already on top of the microbrew brew trend. Um, now we have more than 200 craft breweries in the state. We have a couple ones that folks will know. Total iconic brands like... Um, uh, lining Kugels and New Glarus Brewing Company um, and many, many more. So much in between and, the, and even the big producers, too, that folks folks know and love. So the, the beer trail is just a way of helping um, call out some of the smaller producers and mid-sized producers and helping direct people on their tour as they go through the state and taste the offerings. So it's just sort of a, um, a fun way to kind of kill a day or a couple days if, if you need
0: have you seen that scene kind of explode in recent years with the micro brew, craft brew trends?
1: It's definitely exploding. I think that's a nationwide thing. But here in Wisconsin, um, we really have a lot of innovative takes on this. It really expressed the land that it comes from and our brewing traditions. We're actually home to the National Brewery Museum. That's in Potosi, a really fun city, home of Potosi beer. Um, and there, there's you can learn this entire history, but you can even See the fresh water that inspired why that brewery was located there. There's actually glass on the on the floors. So you're standing over the creek. Um, and you can see the water flowing under the brewery that that inspired its origination. So uh, I think that's a big part of it is all of the fresh water in this state. We are surrounded by two Great Lakes and the Mississippi River. You know, inland, we have more than 15,000 inland lakes. We have tens of thousands of miles of streams and rivers. So it's a, it's a really natural connection. And, and of course, this fertile soil. So uh, it makes a lot of sense that brewing is such a big part of who we are.
0: And cranberries, I guess. Uh, To be honest, I had no idea that Wisconsin was such a huge place for cranberry production. And I I was wondering if you could talk more about that because I feel like this is another one of those food experiences that once you know this and you're coming to Wisconsin, you have to to do something about it as a traveler. (laughs) You have to go check something out about it.
1: I, will admit, I had no, I, I didn't have a preformed opinion about cranberries either before I arrived in Wisconsin and then was just blown away. I mean, it's such a beautiful fruit, right? And then the way that it's um, manufactured and harvested that we use these marshes. And so when you are running driving through cranberry country is huge lakes of red with these floating berries. It's just beautiful. And um, of course, the products that we're able to make because we are producing more than half of the cranberries in the entire country. So delicious. So fun. And then if it's Wisconsin, we're going to make a festival out of pretty much any interest you might have, and that includes cranberries. So, Warren's Cranberry Festival is like an absolute don't miss. It is a huge party. Um, and we also have Cranorama up in Manitowish Waters. So, that's just two of the examples of how we um, we make harvest so fun.
0: Cranorama sounds like an 80s cover band, doesn't it? Does,
1: it does, right? Like <laughs> more like Devo. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, that's cool. I mean, I also read that there is a 50-mile Cranberry Highway that passes through scenic Cranberry beds and farms. I love a good road trip. I feel like that's one of the best ways to explore a U.S. state or at least, at least the state. So, have, I mean, have you been on the Cranberry Highway at all or do you know anybody who who has?
1: Yeah, folks love it. I mean, we are a huge road trip state. Actually, more than 90% of our travelers arrive by personal vehicle. And so I think it's because we're kind of wedged between the, the you know the Twin Cities on one side of Chicago and the other with an easy access point into our state. And then we have these fabulous drives like the 50-mile Cranberry Highway. Um, we also have national scenic lake shores up along Lake Superior, just stunning up through the Door County Peninsula, which means you have Lake Michigan on either side of you, and all the way down the Mississippi River um, on the Great River Road, which is one that folks have to check out, and really an easy thing to put together with your Cranberry Road um, trip as well.
0: When you think about food, or you know, let's say the culinary scene, okay, this is like a sweeping generalization, but I think people will tend to kind of think of the bigger cities, right, as the places where the the you know the real delicacies are happening, or the known places, I guess, in the national scene, and. In Wisconsin, just from my research and and from talking to you, it sounds like there's a lot of culture and a lot of a lot of food experiences around farms and in rural areas and I know there was a town that had fewer than three hundred people that was competing against like New York and San Francisco for the James Beard award for outstanding restaurants so like correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like there's There's quite a food scene, let's call it, outside of the big cities that you would think about, which makes those in-between kind of destinations even more alluring.
1: I love how you explain that. You're exactly right. It's just anywhere you look, any corner you find yourself in this state, there's some innovative chef who is bringing a new idea forward. Uh, one example is Madeline Island. This is an island off of Bayfield in the middle of Lake Superior. Right now, there is an Ojibwe chef there um, serving dishes at Megem that feature foraged and native grown ingredients and they have a french twist i mean where else are you going to find that combination um and you're absolutely right about what you mentioned the wickman house in ellison bay that yeah that community has less than 300 people and here they are competing among other james beard nominees so we're really lucky in that way but we also have these these the big city culinary scene as well with award-winning chefs and um i i it's not good in tourism to have well-kept secrets, but you the people who know, know, and you hear them just, you know, evangelizing around, you have to see the restaurant scene in Madison and Milwaukee and Green Bay and elsewhere, because it's really special. And I think still a little under the radar, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, that's part of what we're doing here is getting it a little bit on the radar, right? I mean, this is, uh, I, it's very easy, I think, for people to say, well, you just kind of look at the Midwest as a whole, and then you think about you know the bigger cities, and that's what might be where the food is. But when you dive in and see what Wisconsin has to offer, and and some of the in between spots, you start to realize, okay, like each of these each of these places have their own unique culture and their own unique things to see and their own vibe. That's what makes a road trip special is being able to soak those things up while you're while you're traveling. I guess nationally, I don't know if you're allowed to talk about this too much, but I know Top Chef is a pretty big show. Is there something going on with Top Chef in Wisconsin? Or maybe my my sources have misinformed me. I don't know.
2: No, I am absolutely... <laughs>
1: I'm allowed to squeal in delight and announce that Top Chef has selected Wisconsin as its destination for the next season of Bravo's Top Chef. So we are, I just can't tell you, like, we are so thrilled and everyone you meet is so excited to bring that, you know, it's, 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 Emmy award winning show with an enormous reach that really has a lot to say about great food. And they chose Wisconsin and we cannot wait to show it all off. There's so much to discover and uncover in Wisconsin. So we don't know exactly how they'll do it. Um, It's a, you know, it's a competition show. So things are kept close to the vest so that the competitors, the chef testants have a challenge ahead of them. But we know that Wisconsin is going to present really well. And like everything we've just covered, there's just so much to experience. You know, we didn't even touch on things like um, Door County cherries, um, the other ways that we we utilize our dairy industry beyond cheese, um, some of our fresh fish uh, that we have, you know, again, the inland fish and Great Lakes fish. Um, so there's there's just a lot of different options for how what direction they might want to take this. It's really exciting.
0: Congratulations. Yeah, I bring that up because I think it says something when a show like that with that amount of reach has the you know, obviously unlimited amount of places to choose from. And they chose Wisconsin, Wisconsin, which kind of reinforces, I think everything we're talking about here and that, yes, there is a food scene across the state and a variety of experiences to be had by the traveler. So just really cool. I appreciate your, you taking the time to, you know, come on and share some of this with us. I was wondering if you're, let's say hypothetically, You and your family have somehow moved abroad for like two years and you haven't been home, and you come back to Wisconsin. What is the first thing you're going to eat?
1: Mm, I love that question. I guess the first thing I think of is I am saddling up to a beautiful bar in a Wisconsin Supper Club to grab my old-fashioned. I like mine sour here in Wisconsin. We do them with brandy. That's our special touch. Probably nibbling on the cheese ball there before I get seated. And then I'm having a Friday night fish fry. No one does it better.
0: We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off the beaten path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent four x four is built for even the most epic journeys. And it even has the best towing capacity in its class up to 6,000 pounds and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. Talk about the supper clubs. We didn't touch on that.
1: Oh, we have a supper club tradition in Wisconsin that's so special. I think we have more than 260, so any corner of the state. And they all have kind of their own take, their own vibe. Some are going to be kind of heavy on the taxidermy. Some are going to be heavy on old world uh, decorations. A lot, of, Most of them are just cozy as can be. It's just a place where the community gathers. And kind of how I describe, there's always like, you know, like a gorgeous bar and great drinks. And then usually the Friday night fish fry. And then there's going to be ribs and steak. Um, and great sides, we're good at sides here, and um, it's it's just a, a tradition that um, is unique to us, and we love it. And it's the kind of thing where, as a visitor, you can feel like you've always done it. You will immediately feel at home in a Wisconsin supper club.
0: Is it different than a restaurant somehow? Or I, yeah, I just was trying to understand the distinction so people know.
1: I it's 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 a restaurant but it has it's just a cozier feel and there's kind of a way we do it there's you know the the apps the relish tray is a really common thing the main dishes that you select from are usually similar although everybody has their own take and then it's also a really strong tradition at a supper club to end your evening with an ice cream drink so a grasshopper or a pink squirrel it's just um just kind of a, a different way of doing things
0: Got it. Okay. Did we miss any big culinary experiences that we would say, oh, how did we like, we're smacking our heads later. How did we miss sharing that one? I just want to make sure people have the full picture here.
1: (laughs) Well, there's definitely more. Maybe when I should not let you go without hearing about is the fish boil. That home is in Door County. And you have to check that out. It's an outdoor experience. The fish is boiled over a big open fire. At times, there are enormous flames. The sound of that, the smell of that, the heat you feel come off of it, um, and, and all of the veggies are done together and um, kind of shared in a communal way afterwards, the, the entire meal. Uh, just just an ex- It's a kind of a spectacle meets good eating.
0: Love it, and some Scandinavian roots, right? I'm in Norway, so I like the Scandinavian roots there.
1: <laughs> exactly, you're exactly right. And We are home to 11 federally recognized tribes, so some of those native food ingredients meet our Scandinavian roots, our German roots. Uh, there's there's a lot of um, of interesting heritage and and new cultures that are presenting too in our food all the time, and th- that mix of everything is just it just keeps getting more interesting.
0: Amazing! I mean, thank you so much for sharing your expertise today. Next time I'm on my way through Cross Plains, Wisconsin, I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, drop you <laughs> yes! line. Maybe we can hit up a pizza farm or something. <laughs> that sounds great. We're
1: also the headquarters of the Ice Age Trail, one of eleven federal trails in the entire country. Two of them are in Wisconsin, and the Ice Age Trails headquartered here in Cross Plains. So yeah, we'll we'll take a hike and enjoy some uh, Cross Plains original food.
0: Love it. Thank you so much, Anne.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: Well, thanks for having me, Jason. Um, I'm Cassie Mordini with the Wisconsin Office of Outdoor Recreation. Uh, for them, I do community development and communications. And I'm just so excited to be here to share my passion for all things outdoors in Wisconsin. As a lifelong Wisconsinite born and raised here, I may be a little biased, but I think Wisconsin really checks all the boxes when it comes to choosing a place to live, work, or play. Um, I mean, our amazing natural assets, our outdoor lifestyle and offerings are at the heart of it all luring residents, visitors, and businesses to plant roots here. So our job at the Wisconsin Office of Outdoor Recreation is to provide resources, tools, and guidance for that $8.7 billion industry in our state so that businesses, workers, residents, and tourists can all benefit from a thriving outdoor economy.
0: Awesome thank you for joining us here. And I you know you have a personal love for the outdoors. So I wanted to hear a little bit about that. Because it's always nice when people are sharing, be like, well, what's your, what's your connection with the outdoors? What do you love about outdoor adventures?
2: I'm definitely um, passionate about the outdoors myself. Um, I grew up in a rural area. And um, instead of taking you know world trips and vacationing, I spent um, most of my time in the woods behind the house, Um, building forts and riding bikes down gravel roads, that's where my appreciation for our natural world started. Um, And since then, I've kept it up and people ask me what I like to do and I'll tell them anything outside. Um, I have a couple of kids and we love traveling the state, checking off the state parks and other outdoor destinations from our bucket list. It's just really fun to watch them explore the natural world too and all the great things Wisconsin has to offer.
0: Yeah, I have two small kids and it is so rewarding when you get them out and you see faces light up and just that connection uh, Absolutely, with nature. It's it's awesome. You know, I feel like the Midwest gets overlooked a lot in terms of outdoor adventures. People look to, you know, I mean it might be on the East Coast beaches in Florida or whatever, or then they're right over in, you know, Colorado or Utah or whatever. So I'm just wondering you know why wisconsin why should people come to wisconsin to pursue outdoor adventures and have outdoor experiences i know there's a lot of amazing stuff to offer but you're here to share it so uh, maybe we can just start with that question
2: for sure i mean wisconsin is overlooked when it comes to outdoor adventure but i like to think of wisconsin as a diamond in the rough and and maybe it's a secret that's been kept a little too long we're we're ready to welcome everybody to experience all, oh, all the amazing outdoor adventure in Wisconsin, and in fact, um, the outdoors is consistently cited a top reason for overnight stays in Wisconsin. So while it might be a little bit of a secret, it's getting out there. Um, and whether you want an adrenaline pumping kind of outdoor adventure, or you know something that challenges you, or maybe you're looking for a relaxing kind of immerse yourself in nature getaway, Wisconsin has something for everyone an opportunity for you to experience it at your own pace. And it's not just that we have all these different opportunities. We have really unique standout opportunities at all ends of the spectrum.
0: Okay. Well, we're going to dive into those. I think uh, the best way to break this down is by category. One thing I wanted to ask you first is I, I live in Oslo, Norway, and one of the big perks, I would say, or one of the things people talk about a lot is there's so much access to nature nearby. And in terms of you know some of the bigger cities that people might visit, would you say in in Wisconsin, you have pretty easy access to nature from some of the bigger metropolitan areas?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Some of our larger metropolitan areas are well known for their uh, green spaces, urban green spaces. So even without leaving the city, there's parks that are offering you know, play spaces, paddling opportunities, a lot of rivers in Wisconsin. I mean, we have 84,000 miles of rivers and streams, and cities, metropolitan areas historically are located near water as a method of transportation. Um, and so those have been transformed into paddling routes or even uh, boating routes in some areas. So there's definitely, whether you're looking for, you know, a wilderness retreat, which, you know, Wisconsin does have a lot of rural spaces and a lot of wilderness. Um, The Squamigan-Nicolay National Forest uh, is well known for being able to kind of lose yourself in the forest, if you will, with one of those types of adventures. Whereas, you know, downtown Milwaukee, you could paddle the Milwaukee River, hop off your kayak and, you know, take in a restaurant and some really great you know culinary experiences that m- match up with your outdoor adventure.
0: I love that combination personally it's I mean I love when you can get away for days and just be you know a bit isolated, let's say, but there's also something to be said about that that day where as a traveler you like you wake up, you go kayaking or something like that, and like later that evening you're at an awesome restaurant or just you know having having those two things together is always a a joy. I think, you know, good food and stuff like that pairs well with hearty outdoor adventures, of course. <laughs> One of the things that got me really excited when I was doing some research on our segment was this Ice Age Trail. I had no idea that you guys have, I don't want to call it like an Appalachian Trail within your state, but that's that were some of the comparisons on Travel Wisconsin that, that were made in terms of it being a through hike and and kind of this unique experience. And I was like, this is so cool. Like this is, this is going on my bucket list. I don't know if you've hiked parts of it, if you can share a bit more about it and we'll, we'll get into like a broader discussion on trails, but I'm just curious about that one.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So just overall, the United States has 11 trails that are designated as national scenic trails. Two of them run through Wisconsin. And the Ice Age Trail is solely in Wisconsin. It doesn't cross over into any other state. So that's what makes this one really unique. Um, It's a 1200-mile footpath. So it's designated, most parts of it are designated solely for foot traffic. Um, There are some sections that cross over onto other trails or may have some on-road connections, which then have some multi-use opportunities. But for the most part, it's designated as a footpath, um, like the Appalachian Trail. And being so long and traversing the state, um, it does offer a lot of through hike opportunities. And the other cool thing about the Ice Age Trail, it's named that because this trail traces the, uh, the border of the glacier that was last here in Wisconsin. So It has some really amazing geological formations that a hiker would experience when they travel this trail. It's really a -a one-of-a-kind wonder.
0: And the North Country Trail was the other one I read about. That's part of a larger trail that runs through some other states?
2: That's right. So the North Country Trail uh, is a 4,800-mile trail that crosses eight states from North Dakota on the west all the way to Vermont on the east. Um, And 220 miles of that trail run through the northern portions of Wisconsin. So you're going to see some of the most beautiful north woods taking you through the Chaguamigan-Nicolay National Forest, uh, some nature preserves. You're also going to see some pristine lakes. There are many, many lakes in the north woods, babbling brooks, and and breathtaking waterfalls on this trail also.
0: Okay. I know Wisconsin's home to Trek bikes. They're a huge company. I've yeah. Seen bikes anywhere? You've probably seen a trek bike. I am not surprised then that biking is a big thing. And I was reading about these ride centers and I was wondering if you could explain what those are because it sounds like for for bikers of pretty much any skill level, these can be a pretty cool thing to check out. Uh, have you been to one? What are they? How does it work? If you're a traveler passing through, can you just kind of explain how this might be a thing to check out or a resource?
2: Yeah. So Trek was in fact born in Wisconsin. The company says they were born over beers in a barn, which is totally in Wisconsin nature. It sounds
0: like how a lot of businesses were started. right? <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs>
2: um, and, and their headquarters are still located in Waterloo, Wisconsin, just outside of Madison. But to your question about ride centers, this is... Um, an international designation from the International Mountain Biking Association. Okay. And so these are mountain bike trails, dirt trails that can be technical, flowy. Um, and they're built by professional trail builders who then also work with local volunteers. Um, so from a backcountry adventure to what they call gravity trails that kind of, as you go down, it carries you up the next hill. Those can be expert type trails to, you know, Beginner entry level, because we want to make sure, you know, that there's an opportunity for everyone to enjoy and there's an entryway to the sport, too. Um, so you want to make sure that there are some beginner trails. I mean, just like skiing, too. You know, you have your green novice trails to your blue, um, you know, moderate to your black diamond, which are more technical. Um, So ride centers have been designated by IMBA, the International Mountain Bicycling Association, for their meeting those standards and going above and beyond in their offering. Um, So in Wisconsin, we have a bronze level ride center in the CAMBA trails. CAMBA stands for the Chequamegon area. Mountain Biking Association. So those are largely in the Chihuahua Nicolay National Forest. So you're going to have some solitude while you're out there biking, which is really cool. They have over 300 miles of trails. And some of them are in the forest, really technical uh, mountain biking, obviously some beginner trails as well. But then they also are utilizing some of these um, gravel roads that were historically used for logging, which Forestry and logging has been a major industry for Wisconsin for a long, long time. So now utilizing those logging roads for gravel biking and gravel bike packing, um, where you put all your gear on your bike, you ride during the day, and then you camp, and then you pick up and you go again, almost like a long-distance canoe paddling type. Like in the Boundary Waters, you think of that as like, the kind of canoe camping experience, well, you can do that on bike as well.
0: I love that. I'm a super fan of uh, the repurposing of, you know, old roads like that or places that you can now turn them into a place for recreation and an opportunity for people to get out into the outdoors. I mean, I think that says a lot about the infrastructure and the outdoor industry there and that they're, putting a focus on creating trails like that for people because that takes effort, takes community effort, takes resources and money. And I think that's a super cool and uh, something. Yeah. Really great. Yeah. Wisconsinites are
2: really dedicated to the outdoors. I mean, it's kind of, it's core to our lifestyle. And so if there, there's, there are a lot of community level volunteers that are really putting their heart and soul into making these destinations, for tourists, but I mean, it's it's in their backyard. They get to take advantage of it too. And that's that's what makes their quality of life so great. They get to experience, you know, the great outdoors on a daily basis. Sure.
0: Is the connection pretty strong in terms of getting outside? Is that one of the core values, would you say, of uh, the residents? Is it just get out quite a bit, being outside? Out yeah,
2: I think so. Um, I mean... Yeah that we turn everything into something outdoors. Um you might think <laughs> a lot of people tend to think of Wisconsin for our beer, cheese and maybe the Green Bay Packers, professional football team, but you know what, even for a football game we're going to tailgate outside. <laughs> you know, we're going to spend some time in the in the fresh air enjoying being outside.
0: I mean you always see the the people with their shirt off or something at the beginning,
2: like, How are they doing it? It's negative. Whatever. No. <laughs> well, that's right. We enjoy all four seasons. We're we're professionals at that.
0: <laughs> there you go. We've been on land for a little bit with trails, hiking trails, biking, and well, we gotta get on the water. Right? Absolutely. Tons of tons of water activities to choose from. And you can give us the reasons why I mean, I know you're bordered by two of the world's largest lakes, of course. Uh, so there's a yeah plethora of opportunities, and I was wondering if you could share some of the highlights around the water sports, some of the things people should check out.
2: Well, the like you mentioned, we have two great lakes that border us on two of our four sides, and the Apostle Islands National Lakeshore is in Lake Superior to our north. So at the very top of the state. There are a handful of islands that have been designated essentially a national park. Um, and it's one of the greatest natural wonders in Wisconsin, if not, you know, the United States since it's been designated a national park. Um, a trip here, whether with family or on your own, is really extraordinary. It's 21 islands and then there's 12 miles of mainland shorelines that are all in this park. And really the best way to explore them is on the water, either by kayak or there are ferries that operate tour boats that will take you to the different islands. And what's really interesting about the apostle Islands is the formation the lake has made on these red sandstone cliffs. Um, there are sea caves that you can, by kayak, paddle through. And it's really an experience because obviously it's like going through a tunnel and it's dark. Take your glow sticks, your flashlights, your headlamps. Um, But it's really an, an interesting outdoor experience that you don't get in many places to be in the water in a tunnel, so to speak, a natural tunnel. And there are lots of different outfitters. We recommend you go with an outfitter because the Great Lakes are big water like the ocean and can be a little unpredictable with fast-moving weather systems. So going with an outfitter or or a guide is really the best way. Um, And you're not going to get lost. They know exactly where they're going. Plus, they can tell you all of the cool history of that place, originally home to the Red Cliff Band of Lake Superior Chippewa. um, It has really strong ties to our Native community. And so hearing some of those stories understanding the natural history of the place. It's really cool.
0: Mm. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the outfitters. That's great that you brought that up because I think, you know, as a traveler, like that can sound like an intimidating adventure, but it sounds like there's infrastructure there for people to just kind of show up and make a kayaking trip happen because there's plenty of support for, uh, for those types of excursions.
2: There is indeed.
0: Yeah. Great.
2: The other thing that I think is really amazing about the Apostle Islands is that just by nature, you think of islands, they're kind of inaccessible, um, but the park and its friends group, the Friends of Apostle Islands National Lakeshore have made huge strides in the last decade or so to make accessible features at both the visitor centers and on the islands. So they actually won an award a few years ago for their improvements at um, Sand Island, and one of the other islands, because they installed boardwalks from the, the dock all the way in, and wooden platforms for the campsites with accessible fire rings, picnic tables, um, toilets that allow for wheelchairs. It's just to to leave mainland even is can be difficult for people with limited mobility. But then once reaching an island to have it be completely accessible once they're there, it's. It's really opening doors for some folks. And we're just so excited.
0: That's wonderful. Do you want to share a bit about Rock Island State Park? Because this was intriguing. I love a, a no vehicles allowed place. Something special about the car free. You don't hear the engines and all the hubbub when you go to a place like this. And there's, there, there's special places. And I was wondering if you've been, if you, or if you could just share a bit about that.
2: So I have to admit, this is still on my bucket list. I have not yet been to Rock Island, but I have friends who have gone and just rave about kind of that, like like you said, like you're away from the hustle and bustle of this city. You're just there to, to take it all in. Um, so Rock Island State Park is part of the Door County Peninsula. It's kind of the thumb of Wisconsin. It's at the very tippy top and you have to take two ferries to get there because it's the second island protruding from that peninsula. So it's a little bit of a little bit of work to get there, but definitely worth it. You'll, you'll be rewarded when you get there.
0: Um, like all the best places, it's a little work to get there, right? Absolutely.
2: (laughs) But like you said, there's no vehicles allowed. It's a true escape from the busyness of everyday life has rustic campsites, hiking trails, a swimming beach miles of shoreline to explore. And they also have a historic lighthouse there that they offer tours every day during peak season, which being so remote, you would think you might not be able to have a tour guide type experience there. But in fact, you can, and you can see that lighthouse.
0: That sounds like a bucket list item for me. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Adding it right now. Okay. I'm not a big fisherman, but I, I appreciate it. I mean, we would be Remiss to not talk about fishing in Wisconsin, right?
2: Yeah, um, I think I already mentioned our eighty-four thousand miles of rivers and streams. Um, we also have fifteen thousand inland lakes. So, like anywhere you turn, there's there's some water where you can drop a line. In particular, the driftless region of the state. So we talked about the Ice Age Trail earlier. That that boundary where the last glacier ended. Well, the driftless region is the portion of the state and other states nearby where the glacier did not touch. So it's rolling hills, valleys, and in those valleys are some really amazing cold water streams known for trout fishing. Um, in fact, I think Wisconsin's driftless region has one of the largest concentrations of cold water trout streams, and so it is a destination for anglers, fly fishing or otherwise. Uh, folks really enjoy this region for fishing
0: lake life i know that's a big part of local life it's easy for me to just say lake life but i mean when i say that to you you probably get a whole picture of what that means like the the culture of that the the, what what a gathering like that means kind of like you know you're speaking a common language amongst each other but to explain that to travelers. Can you just talk about that? And how can a traveler who's visiting have, uh, have those like that authentic local experience of lake life if you want to. Yeah.
2: So I think lake life is kind of, we've been talking a lot about more solitude type, calm, relaxing, immerse yourself in nature type of outdoor experiences. Whereas lake life is still that, but with You know, the modern conveniences. Um, You know, you've got your cabin that's right on the lake. There's a pier. You can run and jump off the pier if you want. You might have a boat or a kayak there to, you know, take yourself out on the lake. It's more leisurely, just letting the sun soak your skin, jumping in when you get hot, splashing around. Maybe you're going to water ski or, you know, put the kids on a tube and watch them giggle and laugh and splash around in the water and, you know, just kind of take it all in. It's still relaxing. Um, You're making memories with your family and loved ones while you're there. And it's, but it's fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's a different kind of fun, but you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world taking a weekend away and just doing lake life.
0: (laughs) We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Sign up over there at zero2travel com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. For all of the things we discussed, I'm wondering for you personally, what maybe the top one or two experiences, and you mentioned like Rock Island being on your bucket list, right? Share whatever you want here. Like if you want to share maybe a personal experience of something that has felt has had you and your family or just you feel really connected to nature in Wisconsin, something that, that you kind of jumps to mind that you still think about to this day. And maybe like a one can't miss thing. Like if you were traveling through, like you got to go do this.
2: (laughs) Well, for me, I think when I try to think of like the perfect outdoor weekend for our family, it's scoping out the best campsite. (laughs) We didn't really talk about camping, but finding that campsite with access, direct access to the water, nearby bike trails. And I feel like, well, I know travelers are looking for, you know, a destination where they can do many different things. And that's almost like what I look for in a campsite. One in particular, we're headed there soon, is Clear Lake in the Northern American Highland Legion State Forest, Northwoods, essentially. Um, nice little lake, got a campsite. We can put our kayak right in from the campsite, spend some time splashing around in the water, let the kids swim. And then we're going to bring our bikes and hit the mountain bike trail. The Raven Trail is right there. Explore the woods, maybe take a hike in the evening. And then we're not too far from some of the more tourist type towns in the Northwoods with Woodruff and Manaqua beautiful city so we could if we want to we can go in and get some ice cream um, shop maybe if we're lucky see a water ski show on the lake there um I mean these are the kinds of itineraries folks can put together in Wisconsin to just experience everything the outdoors has to offer and then also take in the conveniences and you know the attractions of the nearby towns and cities if I had to choose one thing that's like an impossible question for me (laughs) sorry (laughs) (laughs) i'm really trying to think i mean and and to give a suggestion you know it's what does someone want in a vacation do they do they want the like adrenaline pumping i'm going to challenge myself and do this amazing hit this amazing goal while i'm there or do they want to relax i mean i think we talked about some of the really great opportunities for them from you know the Kamba Trails um, in northern Wisconsin for mountain biking um, would be a great a great one. I think um, sea kayaking, we call it sea kayaking, even though it's on Lake Superior, those sea caves is another truly amazing experience.
0: Wonderful. I think that's a great way to think about as we kind of close out this segment. Here is is like you said, just thinking about. I mean, what you gave us was a broad spectrum of experiences people can have all sound epic and then it comes down to well you know you're coming to wisconsin what do you want to do you know what are what are the type of experiences you want to have and just kind of make the decisions based on that but now you have a smorgasbord to choose from here so thank you for giving us that cassie and i appreciate your time today
2: well you're welcome and i would love to invite all of your listeners to come visit wisconsin um and they can start in their outdoor recreation getaway at travelwisconsin.com. thank you you're welcome
3: my name is casey brown and i'm the executive public relations officer for the ho-chunk nation and i'm also the ho-chunk nation board member for native american tourism of wisconsin and if you haven't guessed i'm also ho-chunk (laughs)
0: <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you for taking the time to join us here on an important topic. Just wanted to learn a bit more about Ho-Chunk. And I I saw on the Ho-Chunk website, I don't know if this is the direct translation or if this is, I, you can explain it to me, but the people of the sacred voice, I was just wondering if you could talk a bit about what that means and Ho-Chunk.
3: Sure. Ho-Chunk is translated into English a couple different ways. People of the sacred voice, people of the loud voice, people of the mother voice. Um, but all of it essentially kind of goes back to our language, uh, which is Ho-Chunk. And Ho-Chunk, um, the best way to describe it is much like Latin is to the Romance languages, Ho-Chunk is to the Suan languages. So uh, our language is a root language for many other languages. Uh, For instance, when I was young, I remember going out to the Dakotas and talking to, uh, I was with my father who was head of our department of natural resources for the tribe. And I was speaking with an elder gray haired guy. I was a little kid and he kept calling me grandfather and i had thought you know even as a kid i asked my dad i'm like is he you know maybe having a senior moment or um what was going on and my father said well it's because he knows his stories and he knows that the uh the lakota people they were once part of our tribe and way way back in history as you know as time went on they'd come out west but they still knew our language and they still knew where they came from. So it was showing respect that he was calling me a young Ho-Chunk, calling us grand, calling me grandfather because he knew that history. So native peoples are, we are, have distinct, uh, tribal nations, but we are still have that sort of lineage that goes back. What Ho-Chunk essentially means is, uh, you know, it, how important our language is to us
0: the history you mentioned, and I know on the, on the Ho-Chunk website, it says our history is not told in history books, but spans back beyond possibly three ice ages. You know, this is one of the things that I I thought was really important about this topic and tribal tourism is this is a way for, to help people find that history.
3: Oh yes, certainly. Um, I mean, as a part of a native American tourism of Wisconsin or NATO, And I always say, pronounce it NATO. Uh, We are a democratic organization where all 11 federally recognized tribes have an equal say and a representative, but we are not NATO. We are not (laughs) solving those problems. Um, But uh, the mission of NATO is essentially to promote tribal tourism and economic development. But a large component of that is also education, because when folks are coming out to our tribal lands and uh, all of our tribal businesses, Um, They are going to get a unique experience and something that they're not going to see elsewhere in the world. But they're also going to learn something about these native peoples and these just distinct and diverse cultures all throughout the state of Wisconsin. And uh, that's uh, a large component is education with tourism. Um, People are going to have fun. And we kind of do that, trick them and teach them something else along the way.
0: I would love to hear about some of those uh, rich traditions, some of the things that people can experience, the places where uh, I suppose people can, uh, you know, get to interact and, and learn and where to start. I would say this is a unique and authentic experience that you, you can only have. You're talking about 11 uh, distinctly different tribes uh, as part of Natau. Can you talk about the uniqueness and why this is such an authentic experience for people?
3: Certainly. So all of these tribal nations are, uh, they are nations within a nation. So um, uh, American Indian people have their own sovereignty. Uh, so you're going to learn a bit about that and that uh, a lot of the, you know, as far as all these efforts with tourism, whether it be, obviously most folks know about gaming, but we also have so many other things to offer, um, whether it be outdoor recreation, cultural activities, such as powwows, are also our museums and cultural centers. So when you go, you're going to uh, get to see some of this stuff, such as, of course, I'm Ho-Chunk, so I can speak to that the best. But, um, you know, our Ho-Chunk powwows, for instance, we have one at the uh, beginning and the end of summer. So we have uh, Memorial Day and a Labor Day powwow. And in that, you're going to get to hear our language in song. And, uh, of course, people are going to be speaking it throughout the day at the event. But, you know, they also speak in English, so it's very accessible. So when you go to events such as that, you're going to get to see these Native peoples uh, not only showcasing um, things such uh, such as art, such as dance and song and food, but you're also going to get to see them in contemporary life and still, you know, uh, engaging with the historic, but also the mock.
0: You mentioned the powwows. Can you explain what a powwow is a little bit more about that experience and how people would find them?
3: So the Natal website, as well as the Natal Facebook page, are two great places that we're always uploading and uh, keeping up to date with events that are happening, such as... um. All of the powwows that are going on, because every tribe sort of every tribe runs their own powwow and they all do it differently, of course, is all these tribes have their own um their own distinct tribal governments and how they run it with the powwows. Basically, what a powwow is is it's a, it's kind of just a a big party, honestly. And there are elements of it that are sacred, but it's mostly just recreational. So when you come to a powwow, it's a very casual event. Um, You can kind of come and go as you please. Of course, there's going to be grand entries and that's where you have all of the dancers that will come in to the circle. So as soon as you walk into an arena, whether it be one that's outdoors, whether it's a, a permanent arena like we have in Black River Falls at our Andrew Blackhawk Memorial Pow Wow Grounds, that's a permanent space where you walk in there and you're going to see a big circle. And in the center, that's where we have our drums. So we'll have multiple drums typically at our powwow, as well as some head drums, as well as guest drums. So there's, of course, going to be Ho-Chunk drums singing Ho-Chunk songs, but we also have other tribes that will come in so we do other intertribal tribal songs where everyone can come down, not just uh, native folks, but anyone in the audience is open to come and dance at some point of the day. So at the powwow, you'll have a grand entry where you have all the different types of dancers, everything from fancy dances, which is a more modern type of dance, to more traditional dancers with traditional uh, clothing and regalia on. So... When you come to the powwow, you'll get to see all the dances, you'll get to hear the songs, and throughout the day, they'll have, they'll showcase different, different types or styles of dance, whether it be male or female fancy, or females have jingle dress dancers. Where if you've ever been to a powwow, you can hear them walking from a mile away. It's kind of shake, 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 and it kind of sounds like rain. Uh, but, uh, around the arena, you're also going to see vendors. And that's an, also a very big component of the powwow, Is We'll have uh, at our powwows and all the powwows are going to have folks from that tribal nation, as well as other people that, honestly, I just got a call. We have people that hit the powwow trail in the summer, all the way from New Mexico, Arizona, that will be coming up to Wisconsin to sell some of what they have, whether it be Jewelry or other artisan uh, crafts, and so you get a little taste of that—not only of the place that you're at, but also other native people from around the area and from around the country. So it's a—it's a really fun, it's a learning experience, and you get to go there and get to interact with it, and you know, meet native folks, and of course, it's—it's uh, it's just a fun time. <laughs> and oh, the food! How can I forget the food? If you've never gone to a powwow, you always want to hit up a fry bread stand. That's kind of kind of the more it's a more modern um fry bread isn't traditional, but it is a more modern food that everybody loves. I mean, who doesn't want to have dough that's deep fried <laughs> that's that's as about as Wisconsin as it comes up and down the board. so you can also you'll have fry bread and there's also going to be other things such as a uh, traditional corn soup and uh, if you're lucky maybe corn casserole as well as, uh, blueberries, uh, blue corn. Um, so it's, uh, I, there's always lots of interesting, uh, but more traditional indigenous foods as well as more modern takes on food.
0: Yeah. It sounds like an incredible experience. And I, I think that it's a huge missed opportunity to travel to Wisconsin and to not experience indigenous culture. I, I mean, I think that I'm, so glad to see that. I don't know what your thought is on this, but it seems like it hasn't been talked enough about over the years and now it's becoming more of a I guess uh, people are are talking about tribal tourism more and the, that these are experiences that travelers should have and they're unique experiences but also opportunities, as you mentioned to, to learn, to learn a part of history that's important to learn and that isn't necessarily taught everywhere and I just think a traveler will be missing a huge opportunity to to not Taken some of these experiences, I, I'm just wondering for uh, on your side, what does what does tourism do for the tribal nations? How does it how does it support? How does it help? Just so people can understand. Uh, additionally, other reasons why this matters.
3: So one thing that is distinctively different um, with as far as our tourism efforts from our tribes and our tribal governments is. For instance, when you're going to a, a gaming facility or a restaurant or a campground or an RV park that's owned by a tribal nation, uh, that money that you're spending—it's not just going to you know like a business where there's a couple fat cats at the top and you know then they distribute it down. Um, how Indian gaming in the United States is set up is the majority of that funding is going towards things that help tribal government uh, give back to its people. So those funds, the money that you're spending there, uh, that all goes to education, social services, health care, housing, government infrastructure, stuff that's going to help our people. Um, That is basically, you know, tourism has long been the cornerstone of uh, the Native American economy in the state of Wisconsin, going back for the Ho-Chunks. Uh, the Wisconsin Dells became the Wisconsin Dells because Ho-Chunk people had been there, you know, going on thousands, about thousands since time immemorial, uh going on back because the Dells, I, honestly, it's a beautiful place. And this is funny. I have talked with uh, some youth and some kids that, you know, think Wisconsin Dells is all water slides and uh, roller coasters and are actually surprised to go out and see the natural beauty of the Dells. And that's why it started. That's why the Dells is even there today. So the Ho-Chunk have always been there. And as the tourism industry has grown at the Dells, the Ho-Chunk have always been at the center of it, Um, whether it be performances or also selling things such as uh, black ash baskets, which very, very popular throughout the years, still popular today. And so tourism is kind of at the center of a lot of these tribal nations, especially the Ho-Chunk. And that continues today um, in how we're able to provide for our people. So uh, you can feel good knowing that when you're supporting tribal tourism, You're supporting and uh, basically advocating for the sovereignty of these tribal nations to continue on with uh, some of the work that we're doing, not only to preserve our history and culture, but to move forward into the future.
0: I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think, yeah, cultural preservation, it's this is hugely important, right? Like This is where it comes back to. Just reminding yourself as a traveler, I think that where you spend your dollars has has power, has weight. So um, I think it's yeah just important to, to kind of throw that reminder out there.
3: Yeah, no, certainly. Um, our, you know all of the areas that the eleven federally recognized tribes in the state of Wisconsin have, uh, whether it be whatever type of tourism facility, gaming facilities, hotels. I mean, it is not only it helps the greater economy of the areas. And it's not just for native people, but they're providing jobs. They're helping out with infrastructure within where they live and we're all community members as well. So that's one thing that I always like to uh, impress upon folks in Black River Falls is, um, you know, that we we are part of the community. And there's about a couple miles in between our tribal lands and the city of Black River Falls. But we're still there and we're still part of it. And we're very active members. And, uh, you know, we love being able to share what we have and, you know, the history of these lands uh, with anyone and everyone that's coming in. And that's one thing that's very important about tribal tourism is there's uh, commonly a misconception, especially around folks that maybe haven't gone to a reservation or any other tribal land before, And uh, they're not necessarily sure. Can they go there? Is there? like? But yes, these are all open. If Unless there's a sign that says do not enter, you are more than welcome to come on to tribal lands and to explore and to, you know, see your neighbors, see your fellow Wisconsinites or, you know, see these folks that you maybe uh, you've only heard about or maybe don't know too much about. And that's why these cultural centers and museums are open for you to learn a little bit more.
0: Love it. Thank you. Yeah, sometimes it's important to just remind people like, hey, you're you're invited to come. Like come come visit. <laughs> Open door policy, right?
3: Yeah, we are more <laughs> than happy to uh be happy to uh, you know welcome anyone there and uh, tourism, any type of guests coming in, of course.
0: Yeah, and I know tourism gives you the opportunity to, to talk about your history, the land, the culture. What are the type of questions that people come out and ask.
3: Yeah. um, Folks are always asking, um, you know, about uh, tribal histories and, um, you know, um, just, they want to know more about, uh, and uh, folks are, you know, just as we were talking before about people not knowing so much about Native American history, even in this country, That's one thing that we we can offer is just showing that these, uh, especially the Ho-Chunk, we've been here since the Ice Ages. Our stories take us all the way back to the Ice Ages. So we know Wisconsin very, very well. And we have um, different parts. You know, we've had villages and sacred spots, mounds. They are all over the state of Wisconsin. And that's part of who we are and that's part of our history So lots of folks are always intrigued by that and interested in knowing, you know, as you know, before uh, before pre-colonial times, what was this area like? What was important to you? What was uh, why did you stick around? I mean, the Ho-Chunk were removed numerous times by the federal government. And basically the Ho-Chunk, as soon as the Indian agents or uh, whatever government agents took them and pushed them on to another uh, state or across the country, we have Ho Chunk people that are so stubborn. They just picked up and walked right back to Wisconsin. I mean, if you want to have a testament to how wonderful <laughs> Wisconsin is, the Ho Chunk would travel hundreds of miles back by foot by water just to get back to our state because it means that uh so much to us. So it's it's always good, and people are always asking about that and what it means to us, like where we are, and the significance of it.
0: Mm. I want to make sure that people know Natow also has a really nice travel guide. And I can link up to that in the show notes. And that's available at any travel destination throughout the state, which is also great. Can you... I don't know if it's a song or a story can can you share something from ho-chunk the uh, that gives us a sense of the the language or uh perhaps a saying or something that that means yeah, something you to you my or...
3: heal. i'm terrible at language <laughs> and <laughs> I, my, that is that is one, my one area that i'm uh yeah i i'm lacking i'm, I'm getting better at it but uh i've, I've been trying not to commit That's... myself to tape on saying anything.
0: That's okay. I mean, really anything you can share that gives us a, you know, something that's meaningful to you around Ho-Chunk culture.
3: Sure. Um, I guess uh, one of the things that we definitely talk about and is uh, is very important, um, most recently, actually in my work as the executive public relations officer for the Ho-Chunk Nation, Uh, Within the last couple years, working with the Wisconsin Historical Society, uh, we helped to recover two dugout canoes that were found in Lake Mendota, just north of Madison. And uh, one of the things that is uh, important to, I mean, waterways have always been important to the Ho-Chunk people, as well as, you know, the Madison, which we call Dejope, and Dejope is... uh, Means four lakes or four waterway or four bodies of water in Madison. So the Joppe area, which is the Four Lakes of uh, Madison, um, we've always been here. And anyways, with the canoes, we have stories going far back about us traversing the waters in dugout canoes. And one of the things that was uh, has been so impactful for me is. Uh, I was actually in Chicago once COVID restrictions were starting to lessen and a, uh, Wayne Valere, who is from the Lac de Flambeau, Lake of the Torches, uh, area and that tribe, he's a master canoe builder and I helped, um, I only meant to go one day and I ended up doing it a month and helping to build a birch <laughs> bark canoe. Really? And I, <laughs> yeah. So I was in Chicago and it was a bunch of me and Wisconsin natives just talking and building a birch bark canoe, which I hadn't really helped out with a canoe since I was a child. I think I was sweeping up, you know, just sawdust, but I helped with the canoe and, you know, I, I'm kind of handy, uh, you know, in, uh, <laughs> with wood. So I was able to help that. And you know, Wayne expressed to me, you know, he's like, put your hands on the canoe. And he goes, he probably called me Brown Bear. (laughs) And uh, he's like, Brown bear. He's like, this is this is part of you that's going into this canoe. There's part of you that made this canoe happen and brought its construction together. So there's gonna be part of you in this canoe forever. And you know, that was pretty meaningful to me to think that all the people that helped out, you know, getting all the the items to make this canoe were going to be uh, part of it. And it was wonderful when we took it to the water and actually checked it out and made sure it floated. And surely it did. But getting back to the recovery of the canoes during the last canoe recovery, I was on the shore when it came up. And um, I had heard about these canoes. My father was head of our department of natural resources. So I've gone to lots of mounds. I surveyed mounds with him when I was a kid. So I've seen these things that are very, very old. And it's always been a part of my life. But this canoe coming up out of the water that um, just because of the circumstances, it started peeking out. And whoever put it into the ground and put it into the water, like where it was, never expected for it to be found or to perhaps come out. And it did. And it was a 3000 year old canoe and standing there and just leaning over and touching that canoe. It really hit me because everyone talks about, you know, seven generations behind and seven generations into the future. But someone that I'm related to had built that canoe and 3000 years ago had put that same effort that I put into a canoe and they had touched it and they put part of themselves into it. And I was now touching that same thing. I would never know them. They would never know me, but we had that one moment where we were connected and it's things like that. And that connection to the historic and the present and the future that um, these, you know, these objects in these areas of Wisconsin, which is what's so important. And it just, for me, that was very overwhelming. And to be able to share that connection with our history and to where we are today and the importance of all these tribal lands and these stories, um, it's it's really meaningful. And that's what you're going to get when you come to Wisconsin, that you can see these objects and you can see these things and you can see this culture that is that old, that's going back before, you know, before we Columbus came here before whoever you want to say found America. No, we were here and we have that connection. And we're more than willing to share that with anyone that's touring our tribal lands.
0: Oh, it's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that story. And that's the perfect way to close this out. Casey, I really appreciate your time today. But special thanks to Ann, Cassie, and Casey for stopping by and offering up their expertise. If you are ready to explore the wonders of Wisconsin like I am after listening to all of those incredible experiences you can have, be sure to visit TravelWisconsin.com for everything you need to plan your first or next trip. I'll leave you with a quote from a famous Wisconsinite, Frank Lloyd Wright. I love this one. He said, Space is the breath of art beautiful thanks for listening and i'll see you next time peace and love to you and yours cheers
2: this podcast has been brought to you by zero to travel.com ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality